Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com. This is a Paramount podcast. I am Mike Casazza here on a Monday morning. The mailbag runneth over as expected. Joining me, Chris Anderson, to go through the questions. I know where everybody wants to begin. Should we just begin there? Just kind of rip this band-aid off and let the healing begin. What's the question about the strobe lights for the Oklahoma game? How dare they? <laughs> Obnoxious. No one saw any punches thrown because it went black in there. Crazy. No, let's talk about the elephant in the room here, I guess. I don't know how official it is or anything like that. People can put two and two together here. West Virginia loses by 39 points in like an elimination game. I guess you could call it for the Big 12 championship. The score and the spread aren't good. The major thing is that West Virginia, barring the extreme unlikely, String of events just can't get in the Big 12 championship game now. Had postured for that as a possibility. Really had to cash in and beat Oklahoma to make it happen. Didn't happen, but the 59 on one side, the 20 on the other doesn't look good. In year five, it's a measuring stick opportunity and comes up short. Not a great look for Neil Brown. People grumble, as is custom for a game like that in a season like this. And a tenure like this, kind of want to see something that looks like progress. And that was not progress. And then the day after... Texas A&M fires its football coach, who happens to be from Clarksburg, and inside of a year ago said, you know, you never say never. Maybe one day I'll coach the Mountaineers. And then you just, like, stir that in a bowl and see what happens. Where do we had to know what he was doing then, right, when he said that last year? Really savvy guy. Um, Be surprised. And uh, granted, he's – I think he was in Clarksburg doing a TV thing, so maybe you just say something like that. Did he know that he would be – fired inside of a year the day after that one team beats another by 39 points on national television. Highly doubt that, but there are no accidents. You know, I think, I think he'd probably say something like that too. You never say never, there are no accidents. Seems kind of strange, but I don't think Jimbo Fisher really has to work hard to be at the front of the mind in West Virginia fans and donors. So good for him. And here it is kind of sticking out a year later, already popping up all over social media. That's cool. Good for him. Doubt he did it specifically for that, but I don't think he did it without some intent, right? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I don't think he's thinking that far ahead, but yeah, it does feel like he's, I don't know, do you think he's like more of a securing a safe landing spot in case seeing how things are going south down there? Or yeah, like you said, it, he was on, right, that was like a news in Clarksburg, maybe, where he said that, so, you know, I don't want to say pandering to the audience, but you know, feeding into it. Yeah. So do we begin with Jimbo? Like, what do we make of this? How do we address this, Chris? Because a lot of people are dropping questions in our queue and maybe even listening to hear what we know about this, what we think about this. Where do we begin with the topic of Jimbo Fisher, who will remember is from Clarksburg, and depending on who you believe and, and probably should believe, was pretty close to becoming the head coach Back in 2007, when he was the offensive coordinator at Florida State, some things happened that got in the way, and it just didn't go all the way across the goal line. Didn't have a pylon camera back then either. And then he goes on to have great success, Florida State. Texas A&M, kind of divisive, though, especially look at how his tenures ended. And evidently, this is someone who's just supposed to walk in here, will walk in here, and then make things change. With the one prohibition being that West Virginia still has a football coach too. How do we unravel this? Let's start with with that because again, we asked people not to focus on Neil Brown and 
Jimbo Fisher for the Q and A. Uh, naturally, that that wasn't happening, but there were a few different angles and twists on this. And I want to start with this one. We're going to get to the Jimbo part of it. Well, this is going to be related because you know, Jimbo, Jimbo's done things. He, he has a better record at Texas A&M in the SEC than Neil Brown does at WVU. It, but Texas A&M essentially set a bar for him to reach, and they have not reached it. Ren Baker has come out and said he's not setting a specific bar for Neil Brown to reach. And it doesn't sound like you know there really was one kind of prior to that with Shane Lyons. I'm not sure like if there's a hard hard line but milton ear 59 asks when will ren baker and the athletic department as a whole set expectations there really and truly hasn't been any since oliver luck claimed conference championships uh, were the standard to move on from bill stewart there is no true benchmark how can there be a direction mike do you want to does west virginia have to set a benchmark if so what should it be it's been an issue since before the kind of ugly Dana Holgerson, Shane Lyons um, uh, kind of butting aheads back in that 2015, 2016 range where team Holgerson just had no idea what was good enough. And if you don't know what's good enough, how can you push for things and feel comfortable saying, Hey, we accomplished this. Therefore we should get this. And it doesn't have to be monies, monies. It doesn't have to be money or years. It could be, can we get that Gatorade cooler? Can you knock it off with the, we can't fill up the Gatorade because kids might drink it. Can we just get these bells and whistles? Like just things like that. And you feel a lot better asking, never mind for years and for money, if you know you've accomplished something. And that was always a big deal back then in negotiations and just feeling comfortable with one another. And then not only like asking for stuff, but have I done a good job? Does my boss like me? Do I feel good? Which if you're a head coach or an assistant coach, you got to keep that in your mind because your career is evaluated. And if you're not doing good enough and all of a sudden you get canned, you're, you're a position coach because you thought you were doing good enough, but maybe you weren't. It's just not clear. That can be really troublesome and it can be divisive. And that was absolutely a wedge that was established and, and driven at different times between those two. Fast forward so many years, it's never really been addressed. And that may be something that Ren Baker gets around to after he evaluates things or however long that takes. I think it'd be hard for him to come in day one and say, you know what, football has to do this. And then here's the bar for the other sports on campus. In time, yeah, probably should. And then the other part of this is for fans. You kind of feel silly sometimes just screaming into the night, not knowing if you're influencing or if people are even willing to listen to what you're saying. So if you're not happy with the specter of an 8-4 and four season because maybe the schedule wasn't good and you, you kind of didn't beat anybody quality, but the other side that you're yelling at is saying, actually, we just wanted eight wins this year. If you don't know that, then you kind of feel kind of lost in the night. So will they do it? Don't know. Can they? Yeah. Should they? Probably. Doesn't mean they won't. Um, and then does it have to be like a public proclamation? Could it be private? Could you have these conversations with your coaches? Could you have like one of those retreats with the teams or the athletic department and say, hey, by the way, this is what we're thinking across a one-year period, a three-year period, the length of your contract. I don't think that's unreasonable. And I would think a lot of good executives in any type of business would say, here's expectations, here's performance, you know, and we need to talk about this gap. And when the gap is above expectations and your performance, that's good. And you talk about the good things that happen. When the gap for performance is below expectation, 
that's not good. And you have to talk about how you fix that gap. And you may or might not be a part of that. And if you're not, at least you understand. And I think that's a big, a big riddle problem puzzle they're going to have to fix over there. All right. Athletic director, Mike. Realistically, this is from Cole 1867. What should the expectation for WV, WVU be annually? I mean, he, he breaks it down into, you know, are you setting it as a win loss record, conference standing, offense, defense, stats? I'm assuming your recruiting standards. What, what, what should be a couple of these benchmarks that you would set if you were athletic director? What do you think it's qualitative or quantitative? Do you get to hit numbers or do you think you have to hit like, um, I don't know, like, like, it just feels weird to me. And you can have a really good recruiting class, but it may take three years to prove that, you know? So, like, oh, we we only got, like, the number 38 recruiting class in the country. But a couple of years from now, it may look really good. And conversely, if you reward somebody for having the number 22 recruiting class in the country and all those kids are plucked from the portal, and then what has that done? So I think sometimes you got to be willing to be flexible, smart, and not proactive. Be consider it not emotional and that's some of the logic and language that we've heard so far about what's going on with the neil brown situation is do not be emotional let this play out and let the answer be the answer and you may have that eventually so some of the stuff i think is going to be difficult i don't think in five years it's unreasonable to say you you need to be pushing for the big 12 once once now, is this year five? Is this year four? Whatever you want to call it. I don't, whatever. But it just feels like you should be closer than maybe they are. I don't think that's unreasonable. But how do you, Chris, how do you state that? Whether it's on paper in conversation, like what does that look like in a clause in a contract, let's say? Maybe not like a coaching contract, but a, a good faith performance contract. What does that look like? How do you write that out in a sentence or a paragraph or a paragraph with bullet points A, B, and C? Is it you got to win one of these major non-conference games? and finish three games above 500 in the Big 12 once out of four years? And and at some point, are you limiting yourself there? It's very complicated. I know people want to... So we're not just putting uh, vibes in quotation marks, good vibes, being like, reach good vibes, we're good. Like when you do, like you don't see like a a plus one... Like you got a mushroom in in Mario Brothers. Like you don't <laughs> you don't just get that because you got good vibes. That's gonna take some type of, I mean, examination and then explanation. Hey, the vibes are good right now because of blank. Vibes are not good right now. We know that, but like, what does it mean? What does it look like when they are good? So I think you could have a theoretical thing about, hey, if you win the Big Twelve, awesome. If you're in the Big Twelve championship game, awesome. But that's not for everybody. It hasn't happened here, and it's really only ever been close once, maybe twice. And that's not acceptable for for this long in it. So I think you're right to say it's got to be, if you bring in a recruiting class, you would probably tell your recruiting class, hey, we plan to be in the Big 12 championship game once during your five years here. Would that be outrageous? I don't know. But like Tom Izzo would tell people that all the time, not not Big 10 championship. Like, hey, we're going to be in the Final Four once during your time on campus. And for the longest time, that was true. Now, can you be that bold here? No, no. But it would also be able to like sell your players on stuff a little bit more in recruiting. Like, Hey, we've done this. We, we aspire to be this. Here's our goals. Help us get there. I think that's another part that'd be helpful too. So, so we're taking the approach of, I think, and I don't think it's wrong of uh, what was that? The, the Supreme court ruling on like pornography and movies. Like we don't need to, to have like actual, 
you know, criteria. I know it when I see it, I think is what the, the Supreme Court justice said. Like, I know it when I see it. Just like I know success for a football program when I see it. You know, we don't need to have a set number because um, I'm with you. It, it could fluctuate and it's easier with basketball. And I love the the Izzo thing with the with the Final Fours. Um, and for a long time there, um, or in the early years of me covering the team and kind of the early years for you too, I, I think I put something up about how essentially every player that committed to West Virginia out of high school and stuck around for four years or five years had won a BCS bowl game at some point in their college career for, you know, a dozen years or whatever it was. Um, I don't know if you could get that specific with it. I think it ends up being one of those things where it's you know, look at the look at some of those um like the contract incentives that that we see when we FOIA those contracts and we look at the contracts for the coaches and it's like achieve this or that achieve this or that and like something you know get to eight wins or make a conference championship game get to ten nine total wins or six conference wins stuff like that I think. Because you're right, there has to be some flexibility, but there also has to be a standard for guys, for for the coaches to to strive for and reach at some point during their tenure. What was the line that Houston used? We fired coaches for going nine and three. Was that it? Mm-hmm. That's dumb. That lad looks great. <laughs> you could put that on a t-shirt or a bumper sticker, but that's dumb. And like that, that I mean, that's that's just I just that's ill-advised. I think. Because anything can happen that that could like really derail a good team, and that just seems like it's just it's so hard to make it definitive like that. So I think you could have general expectations you can make true. But the other part about this is too, I think that like some at some time people are kind of scared to put the words out there and to, and to let it be out there because it may not manifest. So all of a sudden we, we fire coaches for not winning ten games. Well, guess what? You haven't won ten games, and you got to fire this guy, right? It just it kind of blows up in your face sometimes, but. I think they're I think coaches are kind of aware and, and maybe like administrators are kind of scared to do this and to, to really be that bull because it, it's something to live up to. And like I just anecdotally here, I talked to Rand Baker about just contracts one time. Like, and he said, yeah, like we have all these incentives. So should contracts be performance based where your salary is more aligned with what you actually do? Like you're getting paid to do the job. You're not getting paid to just work, but like you actually have tasks you have to do, which are win and graduate players and get guys you know, uh, you know, APR this, cause you got a bonus for that. You know, uh, if you win coach of the year, you got a bonus for that. Well, if you go five and seven, maybe you didn't earn your paycheck. So there is a world where people do think like that, that performance should be reflected in what you actually earn or don't earn there too. So there are, there are like triggers that these people do know exist that could structure. I mean, hiring and firing and, and promotions and demotions and extensions. And if you get to this, like you see it all the time, like if somebody wins X number of games, they get an extension um, in the baseball contract for the new baseball coach, Steve Sabins. I forget the number. I think if he makes a regional one year, his contract gets extended automatically. So those things do exist, which means that the expectation for Steve Sabins, the baseball coach, is that he better make a regional once in his first four years. Otherwise, he's not getting a fifth year. So you kind of see that that does exist. Why it doesn't exist in football I think it's because football coaches have so much leverage if they're good and they can go somewhere else. And if they don't like their contract, they can really make a fuss about it. I'm not sure that applies here, but I'm also not sure that Neil Brown's signing any type of a contract that would tie his wins and losses to his money right now. And I'm not sure a lot of coaches would do that either. I don't know how they fix that. 
Oh, speaking of a lot of money and coaches, obviously the connection here with Jimbo Fisher. Um, that's the second part of this, him being fired on Sunday morning. Uh, that led to a ton of questions about that, but I thought maybe the best angle of it here was from Clarence Over. And he wants us to talk the fans into keeping Neil Brown over Jimbo Fisher. What are the arguments? Uh, they are not many and they are not great. That's that's just the nature of it. Like the tail of the tape is just not in favor of one over the other. It's just not. But one person does know the program, a lot of the inner workings. He has kind of built up some infrastructure that I think would operate without him, which is a credit to him and not an insult. A lot of the stuff that I think Neil Brown has done has been good for the program. People really do like that. And, you know, we've, I, you probably have, Chris, I know I have, but like, have talked to parents or heard from parents who are like, you know what? It's pretty interesting when you talk to this guy and he says that, you know, go through this fifth quarter chambers elite program and we'll take you to Europe and get you in front of like executives and this and that and the networking. And the NFL is for a small, small number of players, but man, those parents want their kids to yeah win games, but also graduate and have a future ahead of them too, because an injury, being a bench warmer, playing a really good career, the NFL is not there. So to have something else, that's impressive. And he's done things like that that I think work. It's not unique, but it does impress. I think that would live on without anybody else, um, with somebody else. It didn't necessarily have to be Neil Brown. But that's pretty much where it stops, Chris. Like, there's nothing that is an exclamation point on the Neil Brown side of the ledger that cannot be duplicated or trumped by, here's the problem. Not not just Jimbo Fisher, 80 games over 500 in his career and 8-2 and two in brand-name bowl games, 20 games over 500 in the SEC, national championship, big-time recruiter, connected. You kind of see the point here. It's it's not just him, though, that could trump a lot of these Brown plaudits, but it's like replacement-level coach could do the same thing. So while a lot of the stuff that Brown has built could live on with somebody else in charge, somebody else could come in and do a lot of the things that Brown has done or has not yet done. And at some point, you just kind of get to looking at that side of the fence and saying, what else is over there? Like, what's on the other side? And if it's Jimbo Fisher, that's going to be pretty influential, I think. So part of this discussion, I'm going to get to the Jimbo part of this in a second, but part of this discussion about why there needs to be a change is the, the lack of success at West Virginia. But what's the reason? And I think, you know, people are saying maybe the coaching's fine, like the actual on-field coaching, the game planning, the scheming, play calling, but the acquisition of talent is not fine. Do you think that's a fair assessment of, of what the current situation is and maybe why West Virginia is not having success right now? I think it's hard to really make a leap like that in the amount of time that people want to grant Neil Brown, but I think that's accurate. I hope that makes sense. Like It's hard to go from the talent he was bringing in that was having like arrows pointed in him all the way to the talent level being brought in that would maybe people go, that's more like it. You can get there. It doesn't happen in one in one cycle though. Is that is that fair? Agreed. Okay. Agreed, agreed, agreed. Um and can we also agree that given his track record, we would say that Jimbo Fisher can solve eventually the Jimmy's and Joe's problem. Yes. 
And I think that's where things get interesting because I'm looking at this thing and, you know, I know people have read my stories about the quote uh, teal chip ratio. And I said, you know, that's a different standard than what the blue chip ratio is and West Virginia needed to follow it. So on and so forth. And, um, and this is why it's successful. And, you know, it's kind of evolved over the years, but the blue chip ratio essentially is how many four and five star recruits are on your team. What percentage of um, four and five star recruits are on your team. And then basically like every year for the last whatever years is um, you have to have at least 50% four and five star recruits on your team. West Virginia has never done that. It's going to take something wild for that to eventually happen. But Jimbo's done that at Texas A&M. Each of the last you know handful of years, every year that he's been there, basically, he has unlimited resources, unlimited recruiting, unlimited um, recruiting area there in Texas, obviously. But the on-field success or lack thereof is essentially for Texas A&M is an outlier like you have not seen with any of the other teams that acquire talent like Texas A&M does. I'm looking at the last uh, three years here where one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 13, 16, 16 teams over the last three years have gone into the season with at least 70% of their roster being four and five-star recruits. The national champion has come from that group each of the three years. And out of those, what did I just say, 17 teams, 16 teams, all but four have finished the season ranked inside the top 15 with three, four, five, six, seven, eight ranked inside the top eight. So, again, this is not to lay it on those people who continue to say that stars don't matter when they definitely do, but Texas A&M has had a 70%-plus blue chip ratio each of the last two years and Texas A&M went five and seven and then six and four unranked it was six and four so far this year before Jimbo got fired so now it's a question of can he coach question mark can't you're <laughs> ideally you're looking for somebody who can do both um, I have been very much and always have been in the camp of Jimmy's and Joe's over X's and O's so if you're asking me you pick a coach who's a better recruiter or a better coach, I'm taking the better recruiter. But it's it is something to note about Jimbo and his time at Texas AM is that they get talent like no one else in the country, like the you know, top four talent, basically. And they have not been anywhere close to a top four team. Not even close. So if you're ask if you're asking me, if you're making me to make an anti-Jimbo, you know, a, a Neil Brown over Jimbo Fisher argument, this is it right here. Okay. It's hard to argue with that. And yeah, if you're making me, because like, to your point, like the record's still better, the recruiting's still better. Like, I, I, But if you're making me make an argument, that's what it is. Okay. I, I think you could do that. And and have a full podcast and maybe like a full uh, actual like episode library on this conversation here because he's he's really interesting and when we look at what he's done like you could say wow when 
when he's been hot, it's burned bright and it's been great. But when it goes bad, it goes bad fast. But if you also look at his level of performance and you draw a line to his quarterback play and sometimes the quarterback health, it's pretty obvious. Like he's had bad injury luck when it comes to quarterbacks, which good luck winning if you don't. But, you know, this year, if you look at just the things that are happening there, scoring offense for him is 23 in the country. They are number 12 in total defense. That's pretty good. He's also like, again, the SEC West is hell. Like you could be really good and and lose three games. And they play big time non-conference schedules, too, in that league and, and, and at, at that school sometimes, too. And you could have a really good game and lose. And all of a sudden you're two and one of the non-conference people aren't happy because you got to go into that wood chipper in the West. It's it's just not one thing. These things don't happen, you know, on the same plane. Like that's a tough place to win. It might be an easy place to recruit. Their NIL apparatus is maybe incomparable. They're blessed there. Again, to the point they're paying him like almost eighty million dollars not to coach, and it's okay. It's not one lump, but like they're they're gonna be able to generate that money to pay him for the next couple of years. So he's fascinating there, and and that's gonna make this equally fascinating right now it just it just fits like he's the perfect character for this drama because he is not a clear yes or no and this is not a clear yes or no here well it is not it is not and i don't man he i like he's just one of the more fascinating you know discussions about is he a good coach or not like i can think of in the country (laughs) and you're going to have him replace another guy who's going to be an interesting conversation about is he a good coach or not with Neil Brown. And, and again, the, hey, I don't think we know the answer right now for, for Jimbo or and the Neil Brown thing. We fluctuated. What did, what did you say earlier about don't get emotional? Mm-hmm. And I feel like too many people are getting emotional, like the fans especially. Obviously, that's what they are, fans. But it's full. look at our post-game pods and our Q&A pods for this season and it's fluctuated wildly based off a week-to-week situation and you're right in the fact that i'm going to take a big picture look at everything to uh, without emotion would you like some intel yeah okay just people chris because yesterday as you might imagine kind of a busy day for the phone calls text messages dms i sent you a uh a note about a conversation i can expect to have today right it's interesting times um mm-hmm. Like it's it's not a secret that West Virginia kind of like would be on Jimbo's mind. Um, I can tell you that he's in he's in the area a bunch. I've still family obviously down in the Harrison County area, but like he's looking for farms and places to buy over the summer because he knew he's going to be the coach here. I don't know, but like it's not not a surprise that he might be interested too. But sorry, I said that. I'm sorry, you are too. <laughs> Didn't mean to. Um, it's it's really up to him right now if he wants to coach next year. Like he's getting a lot of money to not coach, but that's not going anywhere either. He's going to get that money no matter what. There's no offset language. The money's his. But this is a guy who kind of had some personal stuff that happened to him when he was changing jobs. And and somebody that I know who who kind of knows him said that like maybe he never got that right. Maybe he needs just some time to get himself together. That was eight years ago though. So if this has been like digging at him for a while, and maybe he just takes the time off to get a breath. Is he like the Mike McCarthy thing where he? settles figures out what's new in college football because if so many things are happening and you're changing jobs and all of a sudden you're trying to keep your head above water in the sec west like this has been a really formative time in the changing of college football on the field and off to the sideline too maybe a year to assess does everything for him but it's going to be up to him if he wants to coach again but also like what is he going to walk into here at west virginia could he come back to west virginia at wvu where there's you know some financial troubles 
And could he could he fit in to whatever they can give him? And does he want to be like a redemption story for him and his program here? That that's does that capture his attention? I don't know, but I think it's something they're going can to try, I, try to pitch. Sorry, to can I hop in here on that financial question? Because yeah. I got one for you. You know, it, it's been discussed a lot, and I would like some clarity on it. And I'm assuming you might be able to help. Jimbo's buyout, presumably offsetting, right? Like with whatever he owes. So is it a situation where he could come to West Virginia? I've seen multiple people ask this, comment on this, like, you know, Texas A&M owes him $9 million a year, whatever it is. He comes to West Virginia and takes $2 million a year because he knows Texas A&M is going to pay him seven. That that is that a thing? So the word offsetting, be careful with. Um, if you fire me, Chris, and I go and I work at ESPN, um, like there's no like I only make the difference between what I would make here and make there. That that doesn't exist in his contract. From what I what I've read, he gets paid. Like that's promised. It's a guarantee. So again, if he's supposed to make, let's say he's supposed to make ten million dollars and he makes two here, it doesn't mean that Texas A&M owes eight. It doesn't work like that. Um, it does mean he's getting that money, and if he wants to make seven million dollars a year, he's making it no matter what. Could WV write him a check for one dollar? Sure, if he wants to do that. Uh, his agent is Jimmy Sexton. That's probably not happening, right? Ten percent of one dollar, not going to fly. So, don't think that's going to happen. However, he doesn't need a whole lot of money. Like, if he's going to make that money, no matter what, for the next several years, he's good there. Does he want to coach? Does he not want to coach? I don't know. And can West Virginia make that work? Because it does make sense. Like financially, that's a big time coach in a place that doesn't have big time finances at the moment. I know that like athletics and academics are not. The same side, but let's be honest. There's you're paying one coach to go away and then paying another guy a lot of money to come. That's going to be difficult. And then would would West Virginia do this? Remember, Rem Baker was calling Jay Wright, Roy Williams, John Beeline when he was looking for a basketball coach in a pinch. It's ridiculous to think that he won't get on the phone with Sexton or perhaps Rem Baker if and when that time comes. There's no way he's not going to do that. He has to scratch that itch. And if not for him and his own self and the people who are going to be asking, hey, have you talked to Jimbo Fisher? Because they might say, oh, you have talked to Jimbo Fisher. What can I do to make it help? And then that opens the doors even wider for that, too. So it's definitely a possibility. And then I just I just think that it's it's more realistic now than before, because when we talked two or three weeks ago about how this was not going to be emotional, things have happened since then. And things are going to happen the next two weeks that I'm not sure change what people feel right now. So it's kind of. You know, it just feels like everything's kind of stuck in one spot and other things are arriving at the party to make this interesting, i.e. somebody's available. But you also look at other coaches who are getting fired or will be fired pretty soon. There's only so many people at the top of the list. And that guy is at the top of the list for obvious reasons here, maybe, but other places, too. So it does get to be competitive. I think that's going to be an interesting thing to watch. But would he be willing to come back and make it work? And, and for himself and for the school and the state to be like a redemption story, would he be like, the key actor in that does he want that that's like a button they're going to have to push here to see if it works somehow we have let time get away from us but i do want to get to a couple more questions really quick so i have to make fire. these Let's answers go. faster from curry r twenty one twelve. uh just signed up for vip this year have not regretted it for a second thank you guys for your great work thank you curry mm-hmm. that is one surefire way to get on the q a podcast but he asks the question is, do you guys think with the improved record this year, if Neil is retained, will he be able to bring in more power five help on the defensive side of the ball by the transfer portal, et cetera, et cetera? What Better. do you think? It, 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 yeah. I mean, that's got to be it, right? And it, 
I do think it's it's more possible because I think with transfers for two reasons. One, with transfers are looking for money and a better situation. You're going to be able to get more money because of the changes made in the offseason last year with the athletic director change, the increase in the country roads trust, and West Virginia's kind of push towards embracing that mentality and that approach to acquiring talent. Two, if you go eight and four, lose a couple key players, but then bring, you know, like say 15 starters back, 14 starters back, and you can look at a couple of these guys and be like, hey, look, brought Beanie Bishop over here from Minnesota, who was like a bit player as like a fifth corner, come over here and we're going to make you great and we're going to have success. And I think that's a pitch that you could legitimately make if West Virginia goes eight and four. And again, I know all the smart listeners that are listening is going to go eight and four, but with no wins over a team that's, you know, above 500, you, you know, who doesn't know that <laughs> recruits transfers, they, don't, they just see eight and four. Okay. So you can make that pitch at eight and four. And I think he could really get a much better transfer class this offseason. Trouble is that you're not getting the caliber of player like a, um, uh, like, like you're not getting Denver Harris leaving Texas A&M to go to LSU. You're not pulling that off by getting somebody from LSU to come to West Virginia. Right. You're not getting like a starter, all conference player to come to West Virginia, unless there's some type of bag I don't know exists. It's going to be hard for them to do. Like they're going to have to hit the Beanie Bishops. Um, and the Fatorma Mobas, the small margins and the guys who could become good players, they're going to have to hit and hit and hit on that. But they can do it because they have. West Virginia 1988 asks, we're switching to basketball really quick because I was I was curious about this question. Um, he was wondering why is there a dormant series between Maryland and WVU in basketball, except for a few matchups in the NCAA tournament, haven't played the Terps on a regular basis since 1992. Mike, you got any insight on that? They only they only allocate a number of spots for like power five games because they've been so precise. And this is a Josh Eiler thing. Maybe a question for him. Um, they've been so precise with how they built their non-conference schedule by guessing right. Guessing isn't the right word by calculating properly about who's going to be good in mid-majors that they've done a good job there. Their strength of schedule is always good with playing a small number of um, power five games or like major conference games. And they do those invitationals too, where they play like one at one of the tournaments and they'll get like a made for TV or one off against like an Ohio State and Cleveland or something like that. Just not a lot of room. You have, what, 18 conference games, at least 13 non-conference. You're going to get three or four in a tournament game. Two of them are going to be on site, maybe three. You get like a neutral site. You have one series that's going to be like a Huggins friend. I'm rambling here, but the 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 space gets smaller and smaller and smaller, and they just haven't really set aside like a long-standing rivalry. The one they did was Pitt, and I don't think it's going to go anywhere. I don't think they're going to knock that out to put Maryland in. Do they have room for two of them? Maybe. I would be surprised, though. Last question. Tampaneers asked about the uh, lack of a goal line camera. A lot of people hurting that question. <laughs> I called it out on Twitter. Neil Brown called it out after the game. That's the TV, right? Like the the TV, like that's that's Fox. That's that's not the Big Twelve for sure. It's not the Big Twelve. Um, it's not the referees. It's the Oklahoma. Oklahoma's got like an EDM concert going on during the game. I'm pretty sure they can afford a pylon cam. Yeah. I think it's. I think I remember this happening on an FS1 game, which is Fox Network. That it, they just didn't have it, but like Fox NFL has cameras everywhere. So I, I cannot explain that. Maybe it wasn't functional. Ridiculous. All right, I think that covered everything I wanted to get to really quick um, before the podcast ended, Mike. Sure, we'll have more Jimbo Neil Brown content. Maybe as soon as today. Maybe someone will ask a question. The hard questions at the news conference. That's at one o'clock. Players before coordinators afterwards. We will have you covered. Until then, I am Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We will talk to you later.